This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. And tonight is the um, first Friday of the month, and it's a speakers meeting, and I would like to welcome Carla. My name is Carla, and I'm an addictive eater. Hi, Hi Carla. Um, it's just really good to be here, and really lovely to be at a big meeting, and we're in with the people that have helped me to find a solution. Um, I'm really grateful that there is a solution. Um, when I first came to this fellowship, and um, it was it was nearly nearly 20 years ago that I first came to these meetings and first met somebody in recovery, and um, I um, was just wanting to lose weight. That was all I wanted to do. I had been um, overweight my whole entire life, um, as far back as I can remember, um, and I met this person from this fellowship and she talked to me about the disease of addiction and she talked to me about being bodily and mentally different from her fellows, but that wasn't what I heard, that wasn't what I heard straight away, the first thing I heard her say was as far back as I can remember, I was fascinated with food. And when I heard that, I absolutely knew that she knew. I absolutely, I could absolutely relate to that. She shared with me this story about her grandfather giving her chewing gum and how, you know, that was such a big deal to her because it was chewing gum. And you know, I just, I just knew that she knew. Um, so ever since I can, ever, it's far, same for me. As far back as I can remember, I was just fascinated with food. I um, can still close my eyes and picture our pantry growing up, and where everything was in the pantry, and the um, food that I was most interested in was on the top right hand shelf. That's where the hundreds of thousands biscuits were kept. You know, the biscuits with the pink icing and the hundreds of thousands. You know, that's what, um, that's the food I liked. But it didn't matter. Any food would do. I remember um, going into the same pantry and um, eating the milk powder for the lamb that we were feeding. You know, that, that would do. Or my, um, my little sister's rusks. You know, that, that was, if that was all that was there, that was fine. And, um, always wanting to know what was for dinner, when dinner was, what we were having. Um, just fascinated. Um, and once I started, I couldn't stop. And I had no patience around food growing up. So I would, um, I would love baking, but I would hate baking. You know, um, I would love that there was, you know, nice food at the end of baking, but the whole process to get to that point was just, you know, torture. <laughs> you know, I'd sit cross-legged in front of the oven waiting for it to, to bake and, you know, loving watching it bake and then um, the smells and, 
but then you'd have to wait for it to cool down, and that was the worst. And um, and you know, just most of the time, not waiting for it to cool down, and eating food that was way too hot, and that used to happen all the time, and I'd burn the roof of my mouth. Um, and then you'd get that peeling off the roof of your mouth because you you burnt burnt it. And um, you know, when microwaves came in and people said you had to wait to eat your meal because it would get hotter and, you know, wait two minutes before you eat and you're like, I was like, no, that, that wasn't what I did. Um, so no patience around food. And so, yeah, just overweight. And um, my dad called me his baby elephant and it was much about as much about my weight as about the way that I carried myself in the world because I was I would stomp around and you know very um, you know I like to be the centre of attention and the centre of the universe and um, yeah it was probably about ten or eleven um, when I went on my maybe even it could have been earlier than that when I went on my first diet but probably ten when I went on my first one where I you know actually drew the graph. You know, and it was kilos on the left hand side and the weeks down the bottom and you know there was the goal and the goal would be for graduation or for a party or for whatever it was and whatever the dress that I wanted, um, somebody's wedding and I had a dress to wear or you know, rule the line and then every week I'd colour it in and it would be up on the fridge and you know this time was going to be it and, and you know for I could diet, I did, I, I was able to diet and you know I could lose 20 or 30 kilos at a time but um, like I've often heard shared in these rooms you know at some point the light switch would go off and I'd go from being on a diet to eating and once I started eating I couldn't stop and all that weight would be put on plus another 10 kilos so every year I was just going up and up and up and up and um, you know, and it was just it was just a bafflement, you know, it was just I I couldn't understand. Um, there was lying around food, there was stealing food, there was stealing money to get food, it didn't matter who it was from. Um, you know, I would have friends who I could eat with so we could, you know, binge together. Um, I'd go on, you know, there would be things that I'd start to love, bagels and cream cheese and salmon, you know, that was one for a bit that just kind of went over and over and over again, but as I say, it could have been anything, you know, as a kid I remember, you know, just at the moment we've got heaps and heaps of Fijoas, but, you know, sitting cross-legged under the hedge eating the Fijoas, skin and all, you know, there was no, no point getting a knife and a spoon, you know, you just sat under there and I remember our neighbour Mrs. Vivian, she had um, mandarins, and her mandarin tree came over to my our side of the house. So, you know, according to my mum, everything over our side of the house was fair game, but I would crawl into the tree and, you know, crawl over the fence and be, you know, on the other side of the fence eating these mountains of mandarins. So, yeah. Um, looking for... A solution to my weight was why I came here. Um, I was engaged to get married at the time and I didn't want to get married in a size 22 wedding dress. 
I'd seen a size 22 wedding dress and it was hideous. It had sunflowers on the breasts and sort of these big ruffles. And I just didn't want to get married in this wedding dress. But I knew I didn't have another Monday in me. You know, I was all dieted out by the stage. I was, you know, it was um, just before my 23rd birthday. And you know, I'd been dieting for all those years, and I just, I just knew. I just, I just knew that I could not do it anymore. The year before was the first year that I hadn't dieted, um, and I had put on so much weight in that year. Um, you know, I, I thought in my head, no dieting is the problem, so let's try not dieting. And um, you know, it was just, it was just hideous. I just, I couldn't stop. Um, I'd have all these plans to eat properly, you know, like not diet, but to eat properly. And I'd have um, cruskets in my drawer at work, because if I had cruskets, then, you know, that was better than eating, you know, chocolate or whatever. But then every time anybody went out to buy chocolate, I'd go with them and buy chocolate. Um, and on a good day, I'd have one lunch, and on a bad day, I'd have three. And it would all be healthy, it would be a you know, a potato and sushi and whatever, but it would still be three lunches. And, um, and I just, I, I was so overweight that I, I did do a lot of, at that time I was doing a lot of dancing, so I was still, I was still active, even though I was very, very overweight. And um, I remember I was involved in a performance at the, um, at the town hall and I remember afterwards this young girl coming up to me and asking me for my autograph and um, I gave her my autograph and her mother said to me, oh you did so well, just a very nice thing to say but what I heard was you did so well for someone as overweight as you, that's what I heard and um, you know my mother had to make me my dress, I couldn't get one off the rack, my mother had made me this dress. I have to say that dress, after I came into this fellowship a couple of years later, she made me two dresses out of that dress. <laughs> so it was, it was so massive and it was so heavy and I was dancing in this heavy, heavy dress. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know, I just, I would keep up appearances, I would say that everything was fine, that I was fine, but that's not the truth. Um, at night to go to sleep, um, I would have to eat so much so that I was so tired that all I could do was kind of pass out, like eat to that point of, um, I used to love growing up Peter Rabbit being soporific from eating all the lettuce, you know, that feeling, like that Christmas Day feeling of having eaten so much that all you can do is pass out in bed, that was a good night. That's what I liked, but I was living with my husband, you know, my fiance, my husband, and, um, you know, I, so that would have to be done in secret. And he could never understand why we had no leftovers. It's like, he, he said to me one night, like, oh, my, my colleagues take leftovers to, to work the next day. And, and I just, you know, lied. I said, oh, no, I'm very good at making sure that we only cook what we need for that night. <laughs> but the truth was that I'll do the dishes, dear, and then I would just eat whatever was left. And... Um, on a bad night, if I couldn't get the food, if I couldn't get enough food, then I would go to bed and I would dream, or fantasise, not dream, fantasise about waking up in the morning thin. You know, I wanted 
um, my thighs to be half the size I wanted, my arms to be half the, half the size, I would look at my hands, which were, you know, my fingers were like sausages, you know, and I would look at them and I'd think, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and have knuckles and fingers and a shoulder and, you know, and, um, you know, cry myself to sleep every night. And it was just, every day was the same. And, um, yeah, I didn't expect there to be a solution for my eating or my weight. I really didn't, but I had tried everything else and I came along here and, as I said, I heard about addiction and it made so much sense to me. You know, it's made so much sense to me that just like a drug addict was addicted to their substance or an alcoholic to alcohol, that I was a food addict and I was addicted to food. And I just remember it making so much sense because I always wanted it. You know, I always wanted the food. I was always thinking about the food. You know, that obsession, that compulsion that I, heard, that I didn't know about, but that I heard in here. And, you know, when I was dieting, I was going mad. I was a completely insane because I couldn't satisfy that craving. And I came in here and, you know, that obsession and that compulsion, people talked about it in the rooms and I found out about it. And um, the other thing about the addiction is once I started, I couldn't stop. You know, I never, ever was a person that could have one of anything. You know, um, once I had one biscuit, I would finish the packet. I might go back and back and back a few times, but I, you know, once I started, I couldn't stop. And um, so that made sense to me. The 12 steps, on the other hand, the solution, that took me <laughs> quite a lot longer to understand, even though I thought I would. You know, I thought 12 steps, 12 weeks, I'll sort that out, I'll work that out. Um, you know, new stationery, I'll get the textbook, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'll get that, and um, yeah, and then I'll graduate, and I'll get A+, plus, and then I'll tell all of you how to do it, and um, that's not my experience, um, you know, that is not surrender, um, and, and it was very hard for me, very hard, but, it wasn't very hard for me because I just I thought I was God's gift to everybody. I think it must have been much harder for everybody else than it was for me. But, you know, these 12 steps, um, eventually, after many, many, many years in, this, in these rooms, you know, I did get to that point of desperation in these rooms. I, you know, the food at that point wasn't the issue for me. It was, you know, the, um, the way I am, you know, and... Um, I have, I have got this disease of addiction, and along with that, I'm self-centered in the extreme, and um, my life is unmanageable by me. Which just, I, I wasn't willing to hear that. You know, I had studied management, and I'm, I'm studying it again. <laughs> and it's easy. It's planning, and it's control, and it is organizing, and it is, you know, and you, you figure it out, and that's what management is, and. You know, surely I can do that, and yet that is not the case. You know, my life is completely unmanageable by me, and it still is. It still is today. And that took me um, 
a long time to see that, to see that even though, you know, I wasn't eating addictively, that I was still planning and controlling and organising and, you know, this, these steps um, are about surrender, surrender to a higher power, surrender to, um, you know, for me to God and, you know, I couldn't do that while I was still running my life and, you know, all I can say is that I'm grateful that, you know, I just keep coming back. You know, I just keep coming back, and I could just keep coming back, just keep coming back to meetings, and um, and these meetings have saved my life. Um, and you know, I was here when I got to that point. When I when I say when I got to that point of desperation, I don't know that that's true. When my sponsor. I kind of feel like kind of pushed me, <laughs> kind of pushed me into that point of surrender by making me do another step four and a step five, and for whatever reason at that point I was willing to be honest in doing a step four and step five, and you know seeing that unmanageability and seeing how much not just my life was affected by this disease but the people's lives around me, and she said to me that I was still hurting people. And I couldn't see it for myself, but doing that step four and step five, I could. And that was excruciating. It was like holding, you know, one of those mirrors where everything is magnified and, you know, your pores look really <laughs> disgusting. And it, it, felt, it felt like I was disgusting. And it felt like, how could I possibly go on knowing this about myself? And she said, you go home. You cook your tea, you cook tea for your family, you do your dishes, you put your children to bed and you come to a meeting. And that was it. That's all I had to do. And I felt like I was dying. I felt like I could not leave her house, you know. And yet she said, just go and do that. And um, that's what I've done. And I'm still breathing. And um, it's been fine. It's just been fine. Um, yeah. I, um, I know today that I am beyond human aid, that's what it says in the big book. Um, I'm beyond human aid and, you know, I really, that very first meeting I met, went to and that very first person I, I met, I know, I knew that, you know, because I, I knew that I had tried all the diets, I knew that um, I'd been to counsellors and the counsellors couldn't help me. I had been to a doctor who specialised in stomach stapling and um, she hadn't been able to offer me a solution because she said I was too young and I wanted to have children so that wasn't an option for me. Um, you know, I had um, been to church and looked for answers there. I had um, been to dietitians. I'd spent so much money trying to fix this weight problem. You know, I had fallen in love, and that had lasted for about a week, and then I was back to that, you know, gone from that obsession with him to back to the obsession with the food. You know, my mother couldn't help me, my father couldn't help me, my grandparents couldn't help me. You know, none of those human beings could help me. And yet, what I forgot and why it took me so long to, to get to that point of surrender was that I forgot that I'm a human being. You know, I forgot 
that I can't fix myself and that I can't sort it out and that I can't figure it out, um, not for myself. Um, so I'm really grateful that, um, you know, that people just kept on sharing their experience, strength and hope with me and um, the patience of my sponsor to keep on saying to me, you know, go out there today and go and see how you can be of maximum use to God and to others. And I go, yeah, 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 go, God and others. But actually, I had no idea. I had no idea about being of use to God and to others because God, for me, was just another way of getting what I wanted. You know, I would ask God and God would give me what I wanted. And it usually, you know, was a long list of things that I wanted to achieve perfectly to make me look perfect. And as long as God's will was the same as my will, then I was happy to do God's will. And, um, you know, that's what my prayers were. God, please help me to do everything that I want to do on the day. And so that's nothing to do with being of maximum use to God and to others. Um, so it's not like that today. Um, I have a primary purpose today. I'm not looking for my primary purpose anymore. I'm not looking for that thing that's going to give me my um, medal of honour or turn me into Dame Carla. Um, you know, I'm not looking for that anymore. I have a primary purpose, and my primary purpose is to stay sober off the food and alcohol and drugs, and to help others to achieve that same sobriety. And um, I love that, to be able to do that, to be able to help others to achieve sobriety, that all I have to do is show up to these meetings, just show up, and I have to answer the phone when people phone me, and all I have to do is share my experience. That's all. I don't have any answers. I am not... Yeah, I can quote you the big book. I've been able to quote the big book right from the start because that's how I thought it would work. But actually, that's not how it works. You know. Um, I'm really, really grateful. It's amazing not to be eating today. It's amazing not to want to eat today. Like, not to be fighting it. I just... I fought food for so many years and it was exhausting, just so exhausting. And then I came into this fellowship and I fought you for so many years, you know, just I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to show you I'm going to do it my way. And it's just exhausting. And, you know, I'm tired today, but that's because I have this busy, full life. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to look for those as many opportunities as I can to be of maximum use to God and to others. And um, the highlight of my day is phone calls from other people who want to hear the solution that has been given to me in, this, in these rooms and through this fellowship. And that is the highlight of my day. And everything else out there in the world, that's a bonus. And I still have such a long way to go and such a lot to learn. Um, and I want what's in these rooms, I want the peace and the serenity that the people that have been here longer than I have have got. Um, you know, I, I am good when I'm busy, you know, I am really good at living in the moment when I'm busy, I'm really good at, you know, just um, at having interruptions, you know, like if people interrupt, I'm really good at just dealing with that and just doing the next thing in front of me to do. Really good when I'm busy. When I'm not busy, I create dramas. Like I can just make up these <coughs> crazy things in my head. 
you know, I, I would like that to be better. I would like to be well when I'm not busy as well as well when I'm busy. You know, I would, I would, I, I think that'll get better. I don't have to work on it. I don't have to make it happen. I just have to keep coming back. So that's what I do. I don't pick up the first one, go to meetings, try and help someone else. And it's a good life. So I'll keep coming back. Thank you. Thanks, Carla.